You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined. A couple weeks back, we spoke with the dean of the University of Michigan School of Education about what schools being closed for the rest of the year means for students and for educators and for parents. But, of course, we barely scratched the surface with the limited time we had, so we wanted to pick that conversation back up today. We want to talk a little more with Dean Moji about what this means academically, what this means socially for our kids and how we ought to be handling it. And, of course, we want to hear from you. How are you coping with school being canceled and the prospect of it maybe being canceled for the rest of uh, the summer and maybe into the fall, this idea that uh, online learning might be with us for some time. If you're a parent, how are your kids doing? And are you able to get them learning and engaging in academics while they're at home with you while you're trying to work? Also, what concerns do you have about their academic and social lives? Give us a call and tell us how your kids are reacting to not being able to go to school and interact physically with other children, their friends, uh, their classmates, their teachers. Uh, How is that playing out in your household? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation. And I want to welcome Dean Elizabeth Moji of the University of Michigan School of Education back to Detroit today. Dean, how are you doing? Hi, Stephen. It's great to be here. I'm 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 doing really well. I feel very fortunate um, to be, you know, safe and healthy and uh, able to continue my work. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's great to hear your voice. Um, So last time you were with us, we talked a lot about what this means for students' academic careers. I kind of want to pick up there and then get to some of the broader sort of social, uh, emotional impacts that we're seeing with our kids. And now that we're a few weeks into this online learning, I think most parents are starting to see how much more challenging this is to be a parent, I guess, during this time and, and to manage things like school and school work. Uh, but, but give me your sense of how we're doing as a state with, with this whole experiment. Uh, we weren't prepared for this. No one could have been. But are we, are we meeting that challenge from an academic standpoint at this point? Uh, great question. Um, you're right. We weren't prepared, and uh, yet our our school leaders and our amazing teachers across the state have been pulling together as a collective and building, you know, really pretty incredible online learning opportunities for students. And in most districts, um, those online opportunities are also being developed as print-based or paper-based opportunities um, in the form of packets that uh, families can pick up. Because, of course, we know that there's, you know, unequal access to uh, digital, digital forms of communication. And so um, imagine the work of these teachers building something that can work online and then also be, you know, manageable on paper. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, the, the reports that I'm hearing from uh, my friends and colleagues who are teachers are that they are working really hard. 
Um, sometimes they're a little confused, uncertain. Um, they're nervous. Uh, you know, teaching online is very different. I'm teaching a class myself online, and uh, it's, it's a whole different kind of space when you're interacting with your students. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, we know that we have to do a lot of things that aren't um, in the moment, that aren't uh, face-to-face, even in the digital medium. In other words, asynchronously. We prepare things that our students can work on while they're not with us. And that is difficult. Um, It's a lot more writing and a lot more reading that our children have to do. And, of course, you know, reading is is the foundation of all learning. Um, I'm a little biased because I study reading and literacy, mm-hmm. but um, it, is, it is such an important foundation, and we're seeing that now more than ever. Um, even with digital tools, there's still a lot of reading and writing that has to be done. And I'm sure that parents are, are seeing that challenge and worrying do I have my children, you know, in front of the computer enough? Are they completing their packets? Are they getting through all the material? And I've heard a lot of talk about, you know, being behind, worrying that our children will be behind. And this is on the part of both parents and teachers. Mm. And I just, I think it's important to, to recognize that there are going to be losses here. We know this from research on things like summer learning loss, and I mentioned the last time we were together, you know, other kinds of natural disasters or, um, you know, school stoppages that, that tell us there will be losses. But we set the standard for what counts as behind, mm-hmm. and we can adapt. And I think we just are going to have to recognize that when we do all come back together, Children are going to be in many different places in terms of their learning, and we have to support them. And we have to be prepared to, you know, do some things over. And that has implications for testing and all kinds of um, normal routines of schooling that we're going to have to rethink in the fall and beyond. So, so one of the things I think is really interesting to watch right now is how different schools approach this whole idea of online learning. And I have two teenage children uh, who go to different schools, and so I've gotten an opportunity to see how at least those two schools have approached it. And it is very different. I, I want you to address, though, this concept of the difference between kind of picking up the school day and the school structure that we had before this and trying to put it online and mirror what you were doing before and just kind of rethinking the whole thing. I mean, the, the, the two schools that, that my children attend have really been on opposite poles of, of that. And I guess I'm not sure yet, it's still early, which one will be most effective but, but it does strike me as a very, very contrasted approach and that, that, of course, you probably have all kinds of schools across that spectrum as well, not just on those poles. But I, but I wonder what you make of, of that difference and, and how schools are deciding which way to go. Uh, again, great question. 
the what I'm assuming uh, the differences are um, in in the two schools you're seeing um, firsthand uh, are things like um, how much face time mm-hmm. in front of the computer, um, what kinds of um, assumptions are being made about how work gets completed during the day, um, and probably one of those schools is simply trying to replicate the school day um, to the extent possible um, and, you know, have homework and assignments that get turned in online. And the other school may be taking a more flexible approach, uh, really thinking about how much screen time is too much screen time, Mm. um, how much interactivity can we have uh, in terms of, you know, bandwidth. Um, You know, if you have 30 students in a class, and all 30 have to be online at the same time, and you have multiple classrooms of students, you start to have challenges in communicating synchronously, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in, the, in real time. And, and we're also seeing differences in that question of homework and what kind of work is, is meant to be completed. And I think, you know, this is um, new territory for us. We know some things, though, about online teaching, um, you know, that are apart from the pandemic, um, not in a time of crisis. We know that we should probably reduce um, FaceTime about 20% um, from what we would do if we were, you know, in physical uh, contact and physical proximity with our students because there's only so much screen time that is actually productive um, and it can actually be wearing on the brain and on the body to be in front of a computer so much. And I, I can speak personally because I'm spending, you know, most of my days in front of a computer. Mm. Um, and there's, you know, vision and eyesight uh, kinds <laughs> of issues that yeah. we have to think about as well. So, it, you know, I think probably the two poles you're describing are, um, you know, maybe not the the desired um, uh, solution, that maybe something in the middle of those is really what makes more sense for our children, that we give them some synchronous time, that is that real-time interactivity, that we ask them to do some interesting and meaningful projects that can be done inside one's home, that we don't demand too much Uh, internet connectivity because not everyone has the same access and because it does drain bandwidth in general, Um, and that we remember that this is a crisis. This isn't regular online learning. So what people might do in a normal situation online can't necessarily be done at this time. Our children are experiencing all kinds of uncertainty. Um, Our younger children, you know, don't understand as much about what's going on, but that's a kind of uncertainty that, you know, they can't get a a good explanation um, and they can't process the explanation in the same way that older children can. Our older children are very aware and are struggling because of that. Uh, I'm talking with Elizabeth Moji, who is the Dean of the School of Education at the University of Michigan. We are talking about the online learning experiment, the statewide online learning experiment that we're enduring right now during the coronavirus pandemic. We're talking about what 
academic implications that we'll have for our kids uh, going into the future. Uh, we're also going to talk about the social and emotional impacts of the distancing that's required here and the physical sort of uh, loss of physical interaction with other students and with teachers and uh, others at school. Uh, we really want to hear from you as well about how you're coping through all of this. How are your kids doing with the online learning that we're all doing right now? If you're a parent, uh, are you able to get your kids learning and engaging in academics while they're at home and doing it on the computer as opposed to going away to school and sitting in a classroom? Also, uh, give us a call and let us know what your concerns might be about their academic and social lives. Have you started to see sort of a strain among your kids trying to adapt to all of these changes? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Anthony in southwest Detroit. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Good morning. Thanks. Um, kind of you know, cart before the horse, but I'm thinking um, with everything being shut down and we have the time to evaluate all this, I think uh, when we start school back up next year, might be a good idea to push the start time back, you know, maybe an hour or so, because mm. I think it's too early. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, that, that's a great suggestion. The, the, there's a lot of research that talks about especially teenagers uh, benefiting from later start times than, than, than younger kids, and there are some schools that are doing that. Uh, Dimoji, his question reminds me, though, of a bigger question, which is, are there things that we may be picking up and learning from this period of time that we might want to carry forward? Uh, things that we might want to say, well, that was a pretty productive change, and it's something that would that would work once everyone's going to schools again. I, I wonder if those kinds of conversations have, have really started yet. Great, a great question from Anthony. And Anthony, I'm a, a big fan of later start times, especially for adolescents. So um, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, we, we actually have a later start time at the school at Marygrove, and um, we really like what that does for our, our students. I think, though, um, this larger question of what can we learn from this time and what can we change? What things um, have we, do we know we haven't always been doing as well as we could? Um, and is this a moment? Is this an opportunity to try to make some changes? Um, you know, Anthony mentioned later start times. We might also think about distributing the calendar differently. There's a fair bit of research on you know, the value of spreading the school year out, not necessarily increasing the amount of time we spend in school, but distributing it differently so it's more balanced. Some people refer to that as a balanced calendar approach. And the research is, you know, still out on this. It's mixed. But what we do know is that during the summer months, all children lose some learning. That's how we know that there are going to be losses in this period mm -hmm. as well. But what happens is um, children who are not as well resourced as other children lose more in the summer times. And so it might be an opportunity, especially if our re-engagement, we just heard the governor talking about businesses and, and the economy re-engaging, schools are going to have to re-engage as well. 
Maybe the schools will start earlier this year. We don't know yet. Those decisions have not been made. I'm not trying to imply anything. But if they did, would this be a good time for us to consider other ways of distributing the calendar? So that's one change that I could imagine um, that relates to to Anthony's question pretty specifically. Mm. Uh, Again, Anthony, great question, and thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Linda in Dearborn. Linda, welcome to the show. Hi. um, My question is specifically about grades. Um, We've been talking a lot about learning and how important I think it is for our kids to kind of keep learning during this period and have some structured time, but also wondering what kind of the state of the conversation is in our state about whether it's fair to grade kids for this time, you know, to fail kids for this time, and whether there could be like a, any kind of um, ruling or I don't know what the proper word is, but any kind of like decision about how grading should occur as we mm. head towards the end of the school year. Yeah. Linda, that's a really great question. Uh, th- this idea of how do you grade online learning and wh- whether, again, you pick up the structure and the process that we had before and just kind of overlay it on an online learning environment or if you if you try to adapt. Uh, Dean Moji, I know that at the University of Michigan, what they've decided to do is give students a choice. They can either uh, go by pass-fail for the semester or they can unmask their grades and see what they are and, and accept them that way, that's a pretty innovative approach. But but talk about the the sort of more general, uh, I guess, pedagogy here. This idea of is it practical even to grade in the same way for online learning and the instruction that's taking place there, as we did when when kids were in classrooms. Well, you're right, Stephen. We uh, at the University of Michigan went to pass no record. Um, kind of grading structure, and it's automatic. And then, as you said, our students can ask to see their grades. So faculty members submit the grades, but it gets converted automatically to a pass or no record grade. Mm. And that's a way that we're um, trying to communicate to our students that what we want right now is for you to learn. We want you to learn and grow, and we know that this is a crisis and that it's incredibly disruptive, and we are not expecting your worlds to be the same as they were in February. Mm. And that, I think, is an important signal. And so what I would say to Linda and to others who are thinking in, in school districts about this question of evaluation is I would lean more toward feedback and thinking about providing our youngsters the best feedback we can on their learning and really taking the idea of evaluation off the table. As I understand it, the the school year um, is ended and our children will be moving to the next grade depending on what they were doing, where where they were when uh, the school year effectively ended in in March with, with our crisis. But that doesn't mean that we don't want to give our students 
feedback. We, that we don't want to communicate with them um, how they're doing and, and how they're learning. And this is another one of those big structural changes that I think we could take out of this crisis. Hmm. We could start to think more about giving feedback that actually helps young people grow and not focusing as much on evaluation. Evaluation is often thought of as a means for incentivizing student participation. I think this whole time is going to really test our ability to incentivize learning by other means, to incentivize learning by making it interesting, to incentivize learning by making the, the social dimensions of it as available to our students as possible. And if we can come out of this with new ways of thinking about how we engage children and, and young people in learning, we would be you know, so far ahead in terms of real education reform. Mm. You know, there are, there are some other things in that, in that realm that I think have, have changed as well. You've had a lot of colleges decide that they are not going to require the standardized test, the SAT or the ACT, for applicants in the, the, the next class of, of admit, admitted students. Uh, you've, you've had some grad schools say that they're not going to require the GRE. That's another area where we've seen some innovation and, and people saying maybe this isn't the best way that we could be doing things anyway. Uh, and, and maybe it starts, again, a conversation, a bigger conversation about whether this is something we want to think about when we go back to quote-unquote normal. That's absolutely right and, and really exciting to think about. If we actually use the kinds of testing mechanisms or testing regimes that we had to inform instruction, if we could really focus on using those, those metrics to help teachers and school districts improve what they're doing and not to evaluate children and not to evaluate those teachers and school districts, but to guide how we advance our teaching and learning opportunities, that would be a sea change in our thinking. And we're going to have to think differently about the kinds of uh, testing expectations we have going into the next year, because it is true that children will not be in the same place as the children who started third grade or fifth grade or eighth grade uh, last year were. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Elizabeth Moji, the Dean of the School of Education at the University of Michigan. We'll also continue to hear from you, Jeff and Gross Point, Mark in Detroit. We'll get to you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us how school is going for your children, for you. How is it going academically, socially, emotionally? All of those things uh, we'll want to hear from you next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. I'm really glad you've joined. My guest is Elizabeth Moji. She's the Dean of the School of Education 
at the University of Michigan. And we're talking about all the changes to education, K-12 and higher ed, uh, that have had to take place because of the coronavirus pandemic. All of our kids are at home learning online instead of going off to school each day and learning in classrooms. They're also experiencing a little of that social distancing that we are all experiencing. They're not with their friends. They're not with their teachers or the other folks who are at the school. We're talking about what kind of impact that's going to have on them academically, emotionally, and socially. As uh, always, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019, and let us know how this grand experiment is unfolding in your household. How is it working with your kids? How is it working with you as a parent having to manage all of this, things that we aren't used to as parents, having to manage from an educational standpoint in our kids' lives. Now the school day is kind of our responsibility as well. How is that working for you as you're also probably at home trying to get your work done? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, before we get back to listeners, uh, I want to talk a little bit about social and emotional impacts uh, of, of what we're doing on our kids. I think that's just as big a dimension here as, as the academic uh, side. Um, what would you tell parents and teachers to try to keep in mind to get kids through this period emotionally. School is about more than books and learning. It is, of course, also a social process and a key part of our social lives. How do we, how do we make up for that now that kids don't have it? Well, those questions are, are huge. And um, what I would say to teachers is what I've already seen many of my, my teacher friends and colleagues doing, and that is when they do have that opportunity to be um, in, in the digital space uh, with, with young people, to start by, you know, just expressing their care and concern for their students. You know, don't feel like you need to jump right into algebra, um, you know, right into the reading lesson for today, but actually spending some time with the children and having those moments that you would normally have in the classroom that you don't even, you're not even aware of when, you know, teachers, really great teachers are always building relationships with their students and they're always making time and space for that love and care to come through. And it can be really hard to do in, in the internet space because you're not physically together. Um, so I want to I encourage the teachers to keep doing what I've been seeing. I mean, I'm seeing teachers who are building little, you know, classroom replicas in their, in their living rooms so that the kids feel that sense of normalcy and they feel connected and they see the, the things that they would normally see when they go to school. I would give them give the kids time to talk with each other to the extent possible. Again, this is only when you're in that real-time internet space together. And then for parents, I would encourage them to talk as much about what's happening with their children. 
recognizing, as I said earlier, that our youngest children don't understand what's going on, that the scope of this is, you know, too big for them to, to, you know, wrap their heads around. And so, you know, they might be trying to figure out why nobody will come to play with them. And, you know, where are all my friends? And what did I do wrong? And so having that kind of conversation with younger children, I think is really important. For older children, we, um, we know there is some research that when school is stopped, um, older children are, are more at risk for dropping out, uh, particularly our, our high school age students who can make those choices. And they also may themselves be affected by the economic changes, especially young people who actually have to work to contribute to their household. So there might be greater incidence of depression, anxiety, because, you know, adolescents are much more aware of the world around them. Um, they've, they've gotten some independence, and now they're losing that independence. They're, they're sort of locked in their homes with their parents. You know, so all of those things, I think, are things that have to be dealt with head-on, and we need to talk with our children, um, embrace those emotions, and it's hard because we're feeling the same emotions, mm-hmm. the anxiety, the, the antsiness, you know, we all want to get out and be able to do things, and we're all worried about the economy. And I think having those honest, open conversations will go a long way. There is some research on resilience that suggests that when children and youth can be engaged in acts that require them to be helpful to someone else, they are more likely to become resilient adults. Mm. And that's an interesting concept. What does it mean to engage in required helpfulness, and especially when locked in your home? So, um, you know, what are some things that parents and teachers can ask children to do that might help them feel like they're making a contribution. They need a sense of purpose, they need a sense of agency, and they need some structure. Um, And it could be very easy as we are all trying to do our work and raise our children and help teach them as parents, it could be very easy to let them kind of, you know, go their own own way um, because they're in the house, so you know they're safe but they actually need some structure to the day. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's get back to some of our listeners here who want to talk about what's going on with online learning. Mark in Detroit, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey. Uh, I'm a retired Detroit public school teacher, uh, and I my kids are grown, so I'm not going through what families are going through now at home. I'm not going through with what teachers with families are going through. But I wonder if there's been any talk, or maybe something has started, uh, any sharing between districts. We know the disparities between districts. Uh, just take Southeast Michigan. We know uh, the disparities that, that um, exist between just, for an example, Detroit, where I taught for 30 years, and Bloomfield Hills. Okay, is it, it, can there be some sharing uh, initiated uh, between districts or uh, possibly started at the, the, the uh, 
State Department of Education level. Um, but, you know, we're all just a click away in these days. And, and I think that would be something very beneficial uh, for teachers, especially those teachers from districts that do not have the resources. Hmm. Uh, great, great point and question, Mark. I'm really glad uh, you called. Uh, Dean Moji, it seems like maybe this is an opportunity to do a little more cross-district uh, sharing and, and exchange uh, partnership that then we typically then we typically see, but I wonder if if the pandemic and the distancing that we're doing makes some of that stuff a little tougher. Yes, I, I think um, from what I understand, uh, the different districts are actually communicating with each other. Uh, you know, probably uh, the superintendents um, who meet fairly regularly, um, you know, across the state of Michigan, are sharing ideas. Teachers are sharing ideas across districts. Um, you know, different kinds of curriculum leaders and school leaders are talking. The challenge is, of course, right now, they're all just focused on how do I build these materials and these opportunities for the children in our district in the next, you know, two months. So I think at this point, we're still in the space of we just have to get something done and get it ready. And, you know, every week is a new building of lessons and units. And, Mark, I know as a retired Detroit teacher, you know uh, only too well what that's like. And so imagine it, you know, in a whole different medium. And teachers are really trying to learn different kinds of strategies. So I think their energy and attention is really occupied there. However, there is some work at the state level, uh, the Michigan Department of Education, the governor's office, and a number of different organizations, whether it's Ed Alliance or uh, the Michigan Education Association, the uh, American Federation of Teachers, lots of uh, universities are talking to try to figure out how we can band together to support our school district. So I, that, that impulse is there, and we're moving toward that. Again, Mark, thanks for the call and the questions. Let's go to Jeff in Gross Point. Jeff, welcome to the show. Good morning. I'm enjoying the uh, discussion, um, and I don't want to um, be depressing about the whole thing, but... Mm-hmm. Dean used the term when we all come back together, um, and that's what we're all looking towards. And my uh, take in the last week or so um, has been that, you know, this virus is going to be just as contagious in the fall as it is now. Um, The the social distancing that we're all um, hopefully um, utilizing um, is great but it doesn't diminish the contagion of the virus. It takes the strain off the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me in the past few days that in the fall, uh, un- until we get a vaccine or a definitive treatment for the virus, I just don't see people sitting two feet away from one another. Um, I was at Costco yesterday and people, um, are more and more comfortable being 10 feet apart in social settings. Mm. So I just, I don't know that it's realistic 
that you know, to bring it back to the discussion that you're having to to really foresee kids sitting two and three feet apart from one another, particularly in in, cl- in crowded classrooms like Detroit mm. uh, in the fall, um, because folks are going to be just as concerned in the fall about contracting this virus as they are now. Yeah. And, um, you know, you get one kid in a classroom who comes down with the virus and, and then what, what do you do? So sure, sure. I hate to be a drag on the, discussion. no, no, that... <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering whether or not what, what's really realistic. Yeah. No, it's a great timelines go. And I know we're all struggling with that. It's a great that, question, that my... Jeff. I, I, I really appreciate you calling and, and asking. And I know Dean Moji, you're not, you're not the person making these decisions about how likely we are to have school in the fall or not. But I, but I do wonder what you make of the prospect of this being a longer term experiment. If, if we go through the fall semester without physical school, if we maybe get into 2021 and still are unable to do it, does that, does that change the way we ought to be thinking about this? Are there things we ought to be doing to prepare for that kind of extended uh, loss of, of physical school? I mean, what does that, what would that mean for, for schooling if this is not just a temporary thing? Right. It's, it is the question we're all asking ourselves. Uh, we're all trying to figure out, you know, how, how we plan for a future that is so incredibly uncertain. I do think, um, to, to Jeff's point, that there will be, you know, as we reengage, whenever that is, there will be some initial trepidation. People will be nervous. And I think that some of the social distancing or physical distancing that we are becoming accustomed to will be something we continue to crave when we first reengage. And, and I think it's important to think about the reengagement being a process. And what we're doing at the University of Michigan is planning for, you know, all different possibilities. The one that Jeff has suggested, the one, Stephen, you've suggested that this could last even longer than fall. And we're trying to think very carefully and, and study very carefully what we can learn from online teaching and learning opportunities and what things can be done well in those distant um, media, in those distant formats, and what things absolutely need face-to-face interaction to really be taught and learned well. And we're going to be trying to document that as we go forward and trying to build some understanding of what's really great online instruction. Because what we're doing right now is you know, essentially makeshift. We're all trying to adapt what was face-to-face into an online medium. But what can we do for the future that will be really great? But I do want to caution everyone, um, you know, online instruction can only handle certain kinds of moments, teaching and learning moments. And so we have to be realistic about the goal to getting back to -to face-to-face and then thinking about how we use these tools within that face-to-face setting. Okay. Uh, Dean Elizabeth Moji of the School of Education at the University of Michigan. It is always so great to have you here for these conversations on Detroit Today. Thanks very much for coming. Oh, I enjoy it. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. 
All right, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow, and we're going to talk about what parents are going through through the tan- the tan- pandemic, talk about all of the emotional strain that they're enduring as things change. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.